Um, our next speaker is Ben Locker, who has various claims to fame, along with Tom Albright, and the fact there is one of the co-founders of the Professional Copywriters Network. Um, I'm sure you have a few members here. I'm one. Uh, if you're not already, I'd suggest joining. Uh, it's free, not for anything else. Um, ben has a number of claims to fame. He runs a copywriting agency called Ben Locker Associates. Uh, he's a qualified teacher and is proud to say he had a handwritten reference describing him as a fine, caring teacher of history. Um, anyone who follows him on Twitter knows that he's very active in the minutiae of Colchester life. I, I live over this way, so I, I have some sort of affinity with what's happening in this Essex town. So, um, anyway, a man of many talents, and I will hand you over to him now. Thank you, Andy. Right, yes, thank you very much. Um, my name's Ben Locker. I'm the enthusiastic idiot they put on after lunch to bring you into the afternoon gently. Um, as Andy said, I'm the co-founder of the Professional Copywriters Network with Tom Albrighton, who's at the back there. Hand up, please, Tom. Um, I'm just interested, how many of you actually are Professional Copywriters Network members? Ah, oh, good people. Look at that. That's really good news. Now, a lot of our members, we've got about 600 now, um, are freelancers. And I think sometimes as a freelancer you can feel very very isolated um, in what you do. And I think one of the problems is that you don't get that chance that um, people working in agencies would have to bounce creative ideas off other people um, when you're in the office. But brilliant copy could be written by anyone, wherever they are, even within the four walls of a prison cell. Now, at this point, I'm going to like, I'd like to take you back to, to 1907, which, to be perfectly honest, is a period I feel far more comfortable in. Than... <laughs> and I'd like to introduce you to this man here. Now, you may think that this is, in fact, Richard Spencer of A Thousand Monkeys. This is not true. This is a man called Louis Victor Eitinge. He's an American, and he's also an extremely unsavoury character. At the turn of the 20th century, he was expelled from Notre Dame University for um, writing bad checks. In fact, he wrote so many bad checks that his mother used to follow the bad checks around the country, paying them off in, in his way. He could have actually charted where he'd been. He was kicked out of the US Navy for stealing. Um, very light-fingered fellow, this. And in 1907, where we are now, he was convicted for killing a man called Joe Light in the Arizona desert. And in an incident which I think is sort of straight out of a crime novel, the corpse was found with a handkerchief on it embroidered with the letter E for Eitinge. Now, Eitinge was arrested, and in the Cairo Herald at the time, it said, he was in the last stages of consumption, a drug fiend, and apparently did not have long to live. But within a few years, he was making $5,000 a year, now this is the beginning of the 20th century, from his prison cell. He had a standing offer um, of a salary from a New York agency for $10,000 a year, should he ever get released. Um, he, in 1922, moving on a bit, whilst he was still in prison, wrote a Hollywood screenplay for a film called Man on the Cover, which unfortunately hasn't uh, survived. He was doing pretty well, but he was still in prison. Now, how did he do it? When he was first imprisoned, he had tuberculosis. So he went straight to the sanatorium, and one of the problems he had was that, you know, in Arizona, it was very hot, people were mosquitoes. Um, he wanted to get a mosquito net, but he had no money. So what he did 
was that he got the magazines that were in the sanatorium, and he started cutting out the adverts that curio dealers um, had, had put in the magazines. And he wrote to them and said, look, what I'd like to do is to sell you horsehair trinkets, you know, things like watch fobs and hat bands and that kind of thing. Um, and what he did is he organized the other prisoners to make these things. He'd write the letters to the curio dealers saying, we'll supply you. And he started making money that way. So he kind of got this little kind of cottage industry going. It was successful. He got orders. Apparently, he wrote to the um, Renfrew <coughs> typewriter firm at one point, and uh, um, Napoleon Hill, who you've probably heard of, who was the guy who wrote Think and Grow Rich, said that he wrote to the Remington typewriter company and asked for a typewriter on credit. And his letter was so good that they just gave him a typewriter for free. <laughs> he said something very different. He said he actually got it on credit, but managed to pay it off. So it's slightly more prosaic, but he got the typewriter. Now, he obviously had a very good um, talent for, 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 for writing direct mail to people. By the end of the year, he was writing about letters from about 40 different suppliers. Um, now, despite this knack for, having, you know, for, for writing very good sales letters, he was hit by an obstacle fairly shortly afterwards. And the governor, the governor of the prison, limited him to writing two letters per month. He was only allowed to write two. Now, this time, according to the New York Times, quote, he learned the secret of writing sales letters of such pulling power that they were the wonder of the business world. <laughs> what he also did was he started writing to businesses and saying, can you send me your sales literature, please? He'd get it, he'd rewrite it, he'd send it back, they'd use it, they'd make a fortune. He got some money out of it as well. So he's still in his prison cell. Now, from his cell, he started building up his reputation. And I hunted around after finding out about him and discovered that he'd written this by the Office Appliance Company of Dearborn Street in Chicago in about 1914, called the Get Series. And it's a, a fantastic little booklet about how to write direct mail from 1914. And the table of contents is a brilliant summary of actually what's in the book. One, get into the envelope and seal the flap. It's the idea of getting the salesman in the envelope using his words. Two, get under the prospect's eye. Three, get a persuasive perspective. Four, get a good grip on your prospect. Five, get the dotted line signed and get away. And six, <laughs> six, get good associates. And by that he means, you know, use good quality paper, good quality materials that reflect well on you and your business. So that was the Get series from 1914. He's still in prison. He's become editor of a magazine called Postage, which was a magazine of the Direct Mail Advertising Society. <laughs> he won a silver cup in a US-wide contest among ad men. Now, how did I find out about it? Well, I, I, I like to kind of look at um, books on, on the open library. Have you, have you heard of that? It talks about you know, how to copyright books. You can find them on, on um, archive.org as well. And I found a book called Writing Business Letters Which Get the Business. You know, good direct title though, you know where you stand. Um, <coughs> the first thing I saw when I opened it was a picture of this guy, you can see the similarity. <laughs> and it says Lewis Victor Eitinge. Lewis Victor Eitinge, the writer of the excellent articles which compose this book, is a life-termer in the state penitentiary at Florence, Arizona. I was hooked from the moment I read that. <laughs> and I thought, you know, great, you know, if it all goes wrong and I do end up in prison, there's going to be hope after all. <laughs> so I, I sort of researched this man and tried to find out as much as I possibly could about him. I wanted to know 
what he wrote. I wanted to see some of the sales letters that he actually wrote to see what, he wanted, what it was that he was doing that, that was bringing in this $5,000 a year income. I could do with that in today's, today's money. I couldn't find anything. He's a very, very hard man to track down when it comes to his actual sales letters, but I found one. And this one letter um, was in the, it was on the Google newspaper archive, and it was in the St. Petersburg Times. And what had happened was he'd managed to get himself released in about 1922-23, simply because of the reputation that he'd built up. Um, and by 1924, he was trying to raise funds for a skyscraper church, um, you know, basically a church built like a skyscraper, um, in a particular district of New York. And I looked at this letter, and it kind of really brought me up, because the technique was so straightforward, it's very simple, it's based on something that you all know about, and I'm going to tell you about it again anyway, um, and it really made me sit up. So what I would like, um, if possible, is to, oh, I forgot to say, I need, I need five volunteers. Okay. <laughs> right, I've got an idea, who's not a member of professional copywriting? <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. If, if I could have... Brilliant. Two. Right, and third. Thank you. A fourth. Excellent. Yes, thank you. Right, I, oh, I've got five. Perfect. Can I have you all in a, a sort of line either side? So make two that side, three this side. Right, so we've got this letter by, by Lewis Victor Eitinge. Now, I've brought the wrong bits of paper with me, so I made some more at lunchtime. And I'd like to hear, if possible, the first line of this particular letter that he wrote, raising funds for the skyscraper church. Have you ever heard of anyone loaning money to God? Brilliant! Brilliant. <laughs> now, grab my attention. You know, straightforward stuff. Have you ever heard of anyone loaning money to God? It's the old David Ogilvy thing, isn't it? You know, get curiosity going. So curiosity benefits news, but in this case, curiosity got my attention. Second, Yes, and having an actual 5% interest paid, the loan being secured by a mortgage, not only would the investment be quite profitable and safe, but it can bring in tremendous happiness through contribution to community welfare. Interest? From God? Fantastic. <laughs> I want God to increase the amount of money, but um, I thought, thank you, God. Next. A great magazine editor said recently that America today needs a great cathedral, but it must not be on the continental plan, beautiful architecturally. It would have to be American in idea, serving the community in a material as well as a spiritual way. That idea is becoming a reality. Here upon the highest point in Manhattan is planned that American cathedral, to have a church auditorium seating 2,200 a social hall for 1,000, swimming pool, gymnasium, cafeteria, nursery for mothers, and scores of practical, helpful community efforts that will make Washington Heights still more attractive as a residence section. Well, I, know you, but I was drooling by the time I was getting there. I was inflamed with desire. But next, I started having some thoughts. No, you are not asked to contribute one copper cent. No one is begging you for a gift. We are trying to interest you in an investment. A loan to God first, secured by income-earning property. But better still, an investment that will give you vital happiness to your neighbors and more so to yourself. All that we ask is that you read and study the inside pages and that you align yourself now and practically with the forward-looking people of our section, regardless of sect or creed, 
<coughs> partners in happiness. The brilliant thing about that is it overcomes a lot of the objections you might have to getting involved in this wonderful scheme. So I'm going to put the word caution now. I'll explain it in a moment. Finally, will you be one? Read the inside pages, then act. Inside was a brochure telling you more about it. It's action, it's called to action. Now, this was written in 1924. And again, I found something around about the same time, which I seem to have rather brilliantly lost. Bear with me. This was from 1921, in a book called Effective Direct Advertising, which again I got the open, open library. And it's got writing direct advertising. It's got five steps. Again, step one, attract attention. Step two, arouse interest. Step three, create desire. Step four, satisfy caution, the objections that anyone might have in the argument you made up to this point. And then finally, incite action. So, yeah, we all use the AIDA model or the AIDCA model, but this guy was earning $5,000 a year. So I think it's just one of these sort of great points that you have a simple principle that sometimes, you know, you can get so wrapped up in a project that you kind of forget these first principles and it's great to go back to them. Now, I think another point I'd like to make is that sometimes in big agencies, it's, it's worth bringing in someone who wants to write their way to freedom. Maybe a freelancer with bags of new ideas and a, a keenness to do things differently, using principles that work. But if you do hire one, be very careful. Lewis Victor Eitinch, by the end of the 1920s, started to disappear from sight. One of the last things that we heard about him was that he was passing dud checks again around about 1929. So if you do hire someone like him, check the invoicing very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all very much. T-I-N-G-E. Um, I've got a blog post about him on my blog, but I don't plug that for anything. Um, oh, I think you should. You've got time. Yeah, if you, if you, if you, if you type in his name, it'll, it'll appear in Google. And, and um, I've got quite, you know, all the things that I found out about him are in that post. Does, does your blog post include a bit about seal the envelope, get under their hide? No, it doesn't. Um, but if you, I can give you the, the title of that, that, that particular well, I'll book. Tweet you and ask him. Absolutely. But you can get it off the open library. I got it out last night to, to reprint that front page. It is as fresh as the day it was written. It's great stuff. There's a much difference in approach between the British and the American market. It's like if you use American <coughs> techniques, are they going to work over here or are there differences? It's a very good question. Um, I think personally um, that you know, if you stick to the principles, I, I think, I think you know, when, when people say that you know, is it worth using American techniques, I think, are you going to be talking about things that interest Americans, that particular kind of you know, um, cultural context? But I think if you use the basic principles that, that iTunes was using, I think they're, they're universal. Uh, if, if I could just pick yeah, up on that, because as a life, a life like Carol Bentley as well, as a lifelong diet marketeer, there's, there's a certain amount of sniffiness in, in the UK about 
these so-called salesy techniques. And the, uh, the, the way I always answer it is, you mean those techniques that make a lot of very rich people? Yes. Yeah. Like, I use those as often as I possibly can. You know, there are there are a lot of millionaires. Uh, there's a guy called Joe Carbo who wrote the Lazy Man's Guide to Riches. Yeah. But basically, it's a book that tells you how to get rich by writing books about. <laughs> and he, I, you know, I've met guys who know Joe, and he said, "Yeah, he just sits on a beach all day writing." Yeah. So, culture to one side, but these, yes. as you say, if you think yeah. of what Ben's talking about, the, the skeleton, exactly, and the musculature, yes. yeah. you put different flesh and skin and hair on it for your geographical, cultural market. Yeah. But, but this stuff works because it taps into really basic sort of human psychology. Yeah. I think. Any other questions for for Ben? Amazing yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I Google it everywhere. Couldn't find out. I, I expect you're going to run off at the moment. <laughs> Great, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you.